Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Let's pray one more time. We're going to jump into James. We are concluding our our months-long series in James. This is part 12 this morning as we wrap this up. I also mentioned last Sunday that that last Sunday and this Sunday are kind of a little two-part mini-series. And so I just want to encourage you, if you missed last Sunday, go back and listen to that this week because I really want you to hear what we covered last week in context, we're talking about this Sunday, um, because it, it's collectively, there is an idea that James is communicating regarding a community that is prayerful, that is caring, and therefore is a safe enough place to experience the power of being a confessing community, which is what we're talking about this morning. The ability to confess our sins one to another and find healing. Because like that sounds scary, right? Can we be honest? Like maybe I feel like, hey, I want to be that safe place for somebody else. But man, it's risky to lay it out there and confess. But there is power in a confessing community. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to guide us in this. And then we're going to spend a few minutes talking about this together this morning. So Lord, I I just want to thank you for everything we have been learning in this letter. Thank you for James and his heart. Um, Lord, the way he calls us into action, Lord, it's just very practical. Taking the love relationship that we have with you, taking the, the community that is, it's imperfect, like people are messy, but God, your church that you love and these relationships that you give us and that James has called us into how to live in really practical ways, learning to be steadfast, growing in maturity, And God, the strength that comes as we walk with you individually, but as we walk as a people committed to growing in you. And so, Lord, this morning, as we begin to wrap this up, God, I I pray that that you would do something miraculous. Lord, like I'm, I'm hoping you talk to my heart and you talk to each of our hearts individually. Lord, I know you wanna call us into the gift of freedom that comes when we walk in the light. But Lord, I wanna pray beyond just us as individuals. God, my heart's desire is that this place would be the sort of community where we pray for one another, we care for one another, and we can have the kind of love for each other where we feel safe to confess one to another and find freedom and healing. Jesus, there is power in the good news of the gospel. And you want us to be a place where we can experience that together. And so would you do that in this place? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So as James closes this letter on steadfast endurance, as we move towards maturity in Christ, his really concluding thought is simply this. I'm summarizing, but I believe his concluding thought is this, that there is great power in a prayerful, caring community of faith. That's what we talked about last week. 
And what he's saying in this powerful community of faith where we care for one another and we pray for one another is that something happens where we promote righteousness, where we promote right standing with God. When you hear righteousness, don't hear legalism. Don't hear obligation to perform at some level to impress other people or earn God's favor. Don't hear that. We are not righteous in and of ourselves, but God in his grace gives us the gift of righteousness. And he enables us to grow and to walk in holiness. It's a gift. And it's a beautiful thing to walk in a community where we're mutually encouraging each other to receive that grace and to walk in right standing with God. Like righteousness just means I'm all right with God. Righteousness in our relationships with each other means I'm all right with my friend Alex. Listen, I'm not perfect and he ain't perfect. We blow it in our relationship, but you know what? We're all right because when we need to, we, we get together and work it out. And so, so when you hear righteousness, bring it down to that level of like, I'm all right with God and he wants me to be all right with others, all right? So I wanna read through this passage briefly and then we're just gonna kind of unpack this a uh, couple verses at a time here. So James chapter five, some of this we read last week and we're building on that, uh, but we're gonna continue through the end of the chapter. So James chapter five, verses 15 through 20. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Not confess your sins so you may be shamed, so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, my sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Friends, that is packed with good news. Amen? So point number one, there's power in a confessing community. Back to verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, James is not doing something unique in scripture when he connects physical healing and forgiveness of sins together. Read through the gospels. How often did Jesus heal somebody while saying your sins are forgiven? In fact, sometimes he would look at someone who was lame or hurt and the first thing he would say to them is your sins are forgiven. And then he would tell them, rise up and walk. And so James is saying here, God wants to heal us fully and completely, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Man, our, our mental health, God wants to heal us 
completely. And so when I'm sick physically, I say something. I'm sick, I'm hurt, I need prayer. And we pray for each other and we trust God for healing. Well, in the same way, what James is saying is, like, let's learn to do that when we're spiritually hurting, when we're blowing it, when we're sinning, when we've hurt someone else, when we've begun to compromise in some area, we need to be able to bring that in the light and say, man, I have blown it. I have messed up and I'm hurting here and I need help. And God wants to forgive us and heal us. Just by way of reminder, we, we mentioned last week this word save here. It means to save, to deliver, to make whole. It means to preserve safe from danger and loss and destruction. Guys, sin destroys. It harms us. And it harms those around us. And God wants to rescue and save us. And so that word save, it touches every part of life, spirit, soul, and body. And I mentioned last Sunday, but this particular word for sick, it means weary, like to be tired from constant work. And the promise is that the Lord will raise us up to re-energize us, to literally resurrect us. So if we're dead in our sin, he wants to resurrect us into new life. If we're weary because we're struggling and we're blowing it along the way, he wants to restore us and heal us. There's a beautiful picture of this in Hebrews. I love that we just read from Hebrews a minute ago. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's this beautiful encouragement um, where the writer of Hebrews is telling us, consider the great cloud of witnesses around you. Look at the saints of old. Look at the people that you're in community with. Consider that. Consider the community of faith. And then he encourages us, consider Christ and what he endured for us. And then you don't be weary. And so I wanna read this to you. Hebrews 12, one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Or other translations say the sin that so easily entangles. I don't have to try very hard to start sinning. I, I stumble into that pretty easily, sadly enough. I'd like to think, you know, 20 plus years in ministry that somehow I would have reached some place where it's gotten way harder for me to sin. Nope, it still comes pretty easily. <laughs> it still clings pretty close. And so in light of that, he's saying, let's lay aside every weight. Let's lay aside that sin that wants to cling so easily and let us run with endurance, right? That's the theme that James has been just hitting home all through this letter. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. How do we do that? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I love that because when we talk about confession of sin, for some of us, this might be like our initial coming to Christ. And the founder of my faith wants to set me free from sin and experience life in him. But he's also the perfecter of our faith. And so as a follower of Jesus, whether I'm early in my walk or I've been with him for decades, he hasn't given up on me yet. He's still growing and perfecting me. He's dealing with that sin that so easily entangles. And so I look to the one who is the founder of my faith, the perfecter of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured. See, he's calling me into endurance, but he's reminding me, 
I've endured. I endured the cross with joy, despising the shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary. It's that same word that James just used, or faint-hearted. Now, often when we read this passage, we stop right there. Like, are these verses familiar to you guys? It can be easy to stop right there. Don't become weary. But the writer of Hebrews continues, he says, I'm talking about a specific type of weariness. Look at this, verses four through six now. Weary in what? In your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? It's an exhortation of love, of family. We're his children, sons and daughters. What's his exhortation? My son, my daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. He doesn't wanna make you even more weary. Remember the promise in James? He wants to lift you up. He wants to re-energize. He wants to bring freedom. And so what does he do? Verse six, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. The reason, the reason James in his letter and the writer of Hebrews here is emphasizing this is because God loves us enough that he wants to deal with our sin. He doesn't deal with our sin because he's angry at us or he wants to shame us. He deals with our sin because he cares about us. He loves us enough to want to see us grow and experience freedom. And so he cares about us enough to discipline us. Listen, friends, we have got to hear this. Correction is not rejection. That, that's a line I've come back to a lot in my sermons over the years. I actually hope you're going, Jake, I've heard you say that before. And if you haven't, well, you're hearing it now and you'll hear it again maybe in six months. Correction is not rejection. One of the things that began to really stand out to me in my years of youth ministry is the longer I did it, I began to notice this trend where like high school students, when they were struggling with something, I'd come alongside to like correct some behavior. Man, they like couldn't handle it. Like they felt attacked when I would just say, hey, we need to work on this behavior, the way you're treating this person. And, th and they, they'd say things like, why am I getting in trouble right now? And I'm like, I, I didn't even punish you. There's no consequences right now. I'm talking to you and encouraging you to a different behavior. Well, well, it just, you know, I'm getting yelled at. I'm like, did I, did I raise my voice? But what I began to realize is that there's this deep sense, and I think it's something that's permeating our culture because there's a real lack of feeling attached and loved, especially by authority figures. Many of us have been abandoned by authority figures or or abused by them. And I think some of it's just our own sin nature, right? I just wanna protect myself. But we don't know how to receive correction in a healthy, loving way. And so when we hear you're doing something wrong or you're off track, we think that we're getting rejected or shamed. And man, I'm gonna get off on a rabbit trail and I don't wanna do that. But I just have to say, even a lot of the sins that we face, they've been so closely attached to our identity that we can't separate the difference between a harmful, sinful behavior and the way that I am. 
It's really dangerous when we identify so closely with sin. And God says, no, 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 that's not your identifying marker. You're my child. You're made in my image. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I love you enough to tell you the truth that that thing is harming you. And the furthest thing I'm doing right now is rejecting you. I wouldn't waste my time on you if I didn't care about you. It's not easy to correct. You got any parents in here? You got an amen in you? Is it fun and easy to discipline and correct your kids? No, it would be way easier just to not deal with that. It'd just be nice if there was just peace in the home all the time. Maybe that's your reality. It is not mine. But it's worth it, right? I love my kids enough and I care about them enough that it's worth it to take the time and to go through the difficulty to lovingly correct because it's gonna change them and it's gonna change their relationships and who they grow and become. And they're gonna experience health and wholeness and freedom as their character is refined. How many of you know, we got a bunch of adults, my hands up, I'm one of them, who still need a lot of fathering and mothering. And so when we begin to talk in a minute about confessing one to another, this is all rooted in a father who loves us. We're all his sons and daughters and we need this, it's good for us. And so we need to learn to love each other well and love each other rightly to encourage each other so that we might grow. So discipline is good and it's beneficial. And so we need to learn to walk in this together. And so that's why James goes into the very next verse. He talks about the forgiveness of sin and the healing that the Lord wants to bring and the lifting the Lord wants to do as he corrects us. Well, verse 16, how do we walk this out then? Therefore, confess your sins one to another. And man, if you're gonna start exposing sin, you know what you're gonna need to do? Pray. (laughs) I'm gonna need some help and God will provide it. We confess one to another and we pray that you may be healed. When we hear confession, what I often hear is exposure. And what we are all prone to do is what our mom and dad did when they first sinned. What'd they do? Covered up. They tried to hide themselves from someone who could see it all anyway and who loved them enough that he wasn't gonna reject them. There were consequences, but he wasn't gonna reject them. He cared for them. And he provided the ultimate covering that they needed first by giving them clothes, but ultimately in Christ. And so what happens is when we hear confession, we all have a a gut instinct that wants to cover up and hide because we're worried about being exposed. But think about what James is saying here. When we confess our sins one to another, we're we're making ourselves available to receive healing. How do you tend a wound? You first have to expose it. That that process is not fun. Like exposing an open wound that hurts. What about a wound that's been there for a little while and there's there's like um, you know it's got you got some kind of bandage on it, but it's time to change the bandage. That's a really fun feeling, isn't it? No, not fun. It hurts, doesn't it, buddy? It hurts, but it needs it. It needs to be opened. It needs to be clean. It needs to be tended to and then reapplied. What does that take? care. It's 
is why last Sunday connects directly with this. We have to learn to be a community of people who care for each other, who are gentle with each other, who pray for one another. The only chance we have to run the risk of opening ourselves up, exposing ourselves, and confessing our sins one to another is if I'm confident that I'm gonna find someone caring there who will tend this well, who's not gonna shame me or reject me. They're gonna go, I've been there. And thank God he's forgiven me and let me walk this through with you. And let's, let's pray, let's go together to the one who can heal. Because I can't heal you and you can't heal me, but he can heal us. And so let's be a safe place where we can care and tend for each other. And there's great power in that. There's great power in a community that confesses sins. The very next thing he says is the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. The prayer of people who are committed to be all right with God and all right with each other, that's powerful. Friends, this is uncommon. Confessing sin is an uncommon act, but what is available is uncommon power. Let's not settle for less than. That's the offer being extended. I love how, how John unpacks this in his letter, 1 John chapter 1, verses seven through nine. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we walk in the light, we have true connection. Not the false front that we put on, like I'm the Christian that has it all together, fake smile on Sunday morning. Real connection, real, genuine fellowship. And we're cleansed by him. Verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's power to be set free, to be made whole, to, to experience the redemption of Christ. See, what happens when we don't walk in the light, personally, we become isolated. We can get stuck in pride. We can get stuck in shame. Relationally, collectively, when we don't learn to confess and deal with problems, all kinds of stuff comes up. This is just my short list. But like, instead of a loving, caring community, you know what infiltrates? Gossip, pettiness, bitterness, hurt and ultimately division. But when we walk in the light, we experience gospel healing. Friends, listen, this is nothing less than just the simple gospel of Jesus. Confessing sins, repenting, and forgiving. And so I, I just, I wanna talk about these three words briefly and we'll move on. But I think this is so important because I, I think we, we have at times uh, minimized or even completely left out one of these three elements, and they're all essential. We, we have to break out of the habit of thinking like repenting just means saying words like, I'm sorry, and that may, means I repented or I confessed. In fact, we, it's really important. Like confession is kind of a lost thing in a lot of churches. Confession, because confession is specific, it's tangible, 
It's not vague. Confession doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry if that hurt you. That is a fake apology. I'm sorry if that hurt you. I'm not owning anything when I say that. I'm not admitting the real thing that I did that hurt. It's just, it's just not real. It's, it's, it's false. Confession says that thing that I did, I am very sorry that I did that. And I'm asking you to forgive me because you know what? I know that's gonna cost you something to forgive me. And so I'm aware of that cost. I'm aware of the hurt. I'm sorry for that specific thing that I did. Confession is about owning it, honestly. Repentance is about saying, hey, while I can't promise to be a perfect person, I'm committed to going a new direction. I'm not gonna do these false apologies where I just keep repeating this harmful behavior over and over and over again and justifying myself. I'm saying, and maybe I'm saying I need help. Like maybe I'm saying there's a pattern of behavior here that I need some help with. And so I'm confessing it and I'm turning to the Lord and like I need some of my own healing to grow in this area. But repentance is not the words I'm sorry. Repentance is I was headed that way and I'm turning and going a new direction. Are we tracking? Confession is specific and tangible. I did this. Repentance is my intent is to turn from that. I wanna walk rightly with God and rightly with you. And so I wanna deal with this. I wanna move in a new direction. And then forgiveness is our response to one another. I forgive you. And I'm only able to forgive you because I've been forgiven much. When we start drawing our own lines of where we're gonna forgive and not forgive, that's dangerous territory. Christ has forgiven us, and so we are called to forgive one another. Now, I realize I'm hitting these three things briefly this morning. Like, we could do a whole sermon on each of those three points. And we, we can and we will at some point. But this just needs to become a practice for us as a people. We need to practice this in our homes. Listen, as much as I need to correct my kids and and deal with stuff when they're blowing it, you know what else I need to do? When I handle it wrong, they need to hear me say, I'm sorry. I lost my cool. I lost my temper. I should not have spoken to you that way. I'm sorry. I want to commit to not doing that. Will you forgive me? I need to practice the very same thing I'm calling them to do. And so we model this in our marriages, with our children. We model it in our friendships. And we do this in church community. There's maybe a time or place for like a big public confession in front of everybody, but like that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, do do I have real relationships with people in my church community where like I can go to a brother or two, a sister or two and say, hey, I gotta bring this out in the open. Or am I walking in such a way where when I see it in a brother or sister, do I, do I care about them enough to go, hey, I don't wanna expose you. I don't wanna shame you. I love you. But I just wanna encourage you. Man, I see this. Do you, do you see that? Is that real? Listen, God, God loves you and he wants to forgive you. And if there's any way I can encourage you, I wanna do that. But like we need, we need to be able to walk in these relationships and it only comes when we're committed to being a caring, prayerful community, all right? So there's power in this. Point number two, it's not gonna be as long as point number one, I promise. Uh, Point number two is actually really brief. 
I just want to highlight someone that James highlights. Okay, so if point number one is that there's power in a confessing community, I just want to say there's power in the pursuit of righteousness. There's power when we're committed to pursuing right living. When I'm committed to being right with God, when I'm committed to being right with other people, man, there's power in that. There's freedom in that. And so James talks about the prophet Elijah. So let's look at these two verses, verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Here's what I love about this. James, the first thing he does, he brings Elijah down to us. He says, this is a regular guy like us. Like, don't just picture the prophet Elijah who did miracles. This is a regular guy who walked the earth just like you and me, who had struggles. He had struggles with sin. He had struggles with his faith. He was just a real guy. And so I love that he brings him down to our level. Like when we see people in the scripture that are like heroes of faith, let's realize like this is something we can aspire to. Like I I can aspire to being the sort of person who's just committed to walking with the Lord and committed to walking rightly with other people. So he kind of, he makes Elijah just a real person. But the other thing he's doing, I believe, is he's not only bringing Elijah down to a level where we can relate to him, he's calling us up. He's calling us up. He's calling us to holiness. He's calling us to righteousness. And I would strongly encourage you to read this, and I, I, I wanna preach on this soon. I love this passage. But he's referring to 1 Kings chapters 17 and 18. And it's this story about rampant unrighteousness, rampant unresolved sin amongst the people of God. And God wants to deal with it. And so Elijah is right there in the middle of it, calling them to righteousness. And so this issue of like, he prayed and there was no rain for three and a half years and he prayed again and there was rain. This is because God was trying to highlight that the sin needed to be dealt with. And the physical lack of rain, the drought that was there, is a picture of the drought that comes when we're separated from God and when we're living in sin. It brings famine. It dries us out. Our relationships shrivel up. Our hearts are in a hard place. And so he points to Elijah and just says, look, he's committed to righteousness. And what's the power? I just want to bullet point some of the stories that that happen here. Elijah predicts the, the drought. He prays and the rain stops for three and a half years. During that time, God provides for him by the brook. Then God calls him to involve other people in that. And he comes across a widow and her son and God provides for them. Then this widow's son dies and God performs a miracle and raises that kid up. He's experiencing all of this power as he's just committed to standing for what's right. God's providing all these needs in all of these ways. And then finally, as we're approaching the end of the drought, God wants to deal with the sin in their midst. And so there's this epic standoff between the prophets of Baal and Elijah and the one true God. And there's this incredible story that I encourage you to read in in 1 Kings 18. 
And, and the simple thing was this. Elijah says, hey, let's just have the real God come light our sacrifice on fire. And so the prophets of Baal get their turn all day long. There's a hilarious interaction that goes on between Elijah and those guys. It's worth reading. And then when Elijah says, okay, it's time to see who the true and living God is, and he sets up the sacrifice and the offering, he does this really interesting thing. Have you guys heard this story before? What does he do to the sacrifice and to the altar as he's getting ready to pray for fire to come? What does he do? Floods it with water. Now, maybe I've missed this, and and so if I have, like, then credit back to them. But, like, I've heard this passage preached on many times. And always in the context of like what a miracle that he poured water all over the wood and the sacrifice and the altar and there's this trench of water. He just drowned it in water and then fire came. What a miracle. And I just always thought it is a miracle. Like you put fire on something, you're gonna ask, or water on something, you're gonna ask God to put fire there. But you know what stood out to me for the, like the very first time I just never thought about before? The rain hasn't come yet. This is the most precious thing they have. They have like none of it. And the sacrifice was, I'm gonna take this precious commodity that we're basically out of, and I'm gonna just pour it on this altar to you. Sometimes the very sins that we're clinging to desperately, because in some twisted way that feels like it's safe or it satisfies or it helps me cope, And God's saying, if you'll just lay that thing you're relying on on the altar, I'll light you up. And I'll bring you what you really need. There's power when we're committed to righteousness. And God shows up and he lights that sacrifice. And then Elijah goes and prays once, twice, three times, four times, five times, six times. God, you told me it was about to rain. Where's the rain? Seven times. And there's just a wisp of a cloud on the horizon. And Elijah says, the rain is coming. And it came like a flood. And grace falls down like rain. Washing us. Cleansing the parched parched soil. Bringing new life. Friends, there's power when we're committed to righteousness. Not false righteousness not some legalistic broken way of trying to be the perfect Christian all the time, but just being committed to walking rightly with God and rightly with each other and watching the power that shows up. I placed something in my notes here that I'm not gonna teach. And so if it, you can download my notes on our website. They usually get posted Tuesdays-ish, um, or you can write this down now, but I put it in here as a guide, okay? And so I've got Psalm 32 in here as a guide. And there's two words in this psalm that might be unfamiliar to us. The first um, is the description of this psalm is a maskil, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I'm terrible at pronouncing some of these words, but it's M-A-S-K-I-L, a maskil of David. And that literally means a song or a poem of contemplation, a psalm that you slow down and you take your time, you consider what it's calling you to. And then throughout the psalm is this word selah that pops up over and over again. And so not only is it a psalm to slow down and contemplate, but there's these moments in the psalm to pause and consider and reflect on what you just read. And this whole psalm is a celebration of confession and forgiveness. It's a guide to what happens when we aren't confessing and how dry we get. 
It offers hope when we're committed to, be, to dealing with our sin. It even guides us into how to confess. And then there's celebration on the other side, the joy of forgiveness. And so I would encourage you, use this psalm as a guide personally and relationally to walk through confession and repentance and forgiveness. It's powerful. It's powerful. Last thing, I want to close with what James closed with. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. If there's power in a confessing community and there's power in the pursuit of righteousness, friends, there's power in the loving pursuit of others. When we are getting those first two right, it creates a heart within me and it creates a culture within a community where people who need Jesus can find hope and healing where people who have drifted and been distant in their walk with him or people who have never met him can come and find redemption. And so look at how James closes the letter. My brothers, my sisters, this is verses 19 and 20. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You heard that phrase before, covers a multitude of sins? Shows up in the scripture a few times. What is it that covers a multitude of sins? Love. Peter says it in 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. The end of all things is at hand. You talked about that, Ross. We always keep the end in sight. Jesus is returning. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That's everything we just talked about. And what? And above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Listen, Jesus is the one who covers our sins. It's his blood that forgives our sins. It's the love of God that covers our sins. But what's happening in this passage is Peter's saying, let's participate in that. Let's be the sort of people that cover sin in love. This isn't in my notes, but it just came to mind. That Old Testament story, it's a weird story where, um, where Noah gets drunk. Man, this is a family Sunday. I gotta be careful with this story. And he's in his tent and he's exposed. And one of his sons mocks the exposure, but two of his sons honor him. And they so honor their father in his sin and exposed condition, they don't even look at him. They get a blanket and he's back in the tent and they each take a side and they walk in backwards and they cover the shame of their father. That's love that covers sin. This isn't about finding things out about each other. This isn't about exposing to shame. It's saying there is a God who loves us and he wants to heal us and he wants us to enjoy being right with him. It's so good being right with God. It's so healthy and good to be right with one another. Aren't those just the best? Like when your relationships are just right, not perfect, but they're right, they're healthy. We deal with the stuff when there's problems. It's so good. 
And God's saying, would you be the kind of people who are committed to living rightly? And will you be the kind of people who care for each other and pray for each other and that you're loving enough that you cover a multitude of sins? And he's saying, how wonderful is it when you get to participate in that for others? Like when you get to see other people being covered and set free and reconciled back to God, what a gift to participate in that. I want to be that sort of person. I long for, and by the way, I believe our church is that sort of a place. But we can't just sit on our hands and just think that happens by accident. We gotta be committed to this. Committed to praying for each other. Committed to caring for each other and carrying the love of God. His love always preempts the the moment of reconciliation. His love is there first, and then sinners can respond to his love that's already there. It's hard for us to live that way, but he calls us to walk in love even prior to the moment of reconciliation, even prior to the confession, the repentance, the forgiveness. We walk in love. This is what John is talking about in 1 John 4, 9 through 11. I'm closing with this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love was previous prior to our response to it. We're still in our sin and he loves us. What does John say next? Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loves us like that, we also ought to love one another like that. Am I willing to love people before they're being loving back? Am I willing to walk in preemptive love while someone else is still stuck in their sin and trespass? Or am I aloof, disconnected, judgmental, unapproachable? God forbid. Let's carry the love of God in our lives, in our homes, in our church community, and to our city that needs it. Amen? Amen. Amen. May we become steadfast and grow in maturity and walk in love. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your great heart for us. God, thank you that you love us enough to discipline us. In fact, you're not, you're not pushing us away. You're not rejecting us. In fact, you're communicating your great heart for us, that you care about us enough to help us grow. Lord, help us be the sort of people who confess one to another and pray for each other. Help us be the sort of people who know how to walk in love and care for each other. And God, may we experience the power of being right with you and right with each other. What a gift. May we grow in that. And Lord, I just wanna finish by praying. If there's any of us here this morning that we, we know that there is something you're putting your finger on, there's a spot. There's a sin we're dealing with personally. There's a place where we're separated from you or we have a relationship that is not right. Lord, we commit our hearts, even in this moment, to walk this out, to confess our sin, to repent and turn. And we thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
would you do that work in us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen.